Here's your Thursday edition of Transformation Radio. This world has nothing for me. This life is not my own. I know you go before me and I am not alone. This mountain rises higher. The way seems so unclear. But I know that you go with me so I will never fear. I will trust Yeah. 
And now as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our narrative today comes from the book of Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 21. Here is a brief overview of what we'll be reading about today. Now, it's not known whether this star that uh, falls from the sky is Satan, a fallen angel, Christ, or a, a good angel. Most likely, it's a good angel, because the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit is normally held by Christ, and it was temporarily given to this other being from heaven. Well, this being, whoever he or she may be, is still under God's control and authority. The bottomless pit represents the place of the demons and of Satan, the king of demons. The prophet Joel described a locust plague as a foreshadowing of, quote, the day of the Lord, end quote, meaning God's coming judgment. And the Old Testament locusts were symbols of destruction because they destroyed vegetation. Here, however, we'll read that they symbolize uh, something else, an invasion of demons called to torture people who do not believe in God. The limitations placed on the demons, they could only torment people for five months, show that they're under God's authority. Now, most likely, these locusts are, in fact, demons, evil spirits ruled by Satan who tempt people to sin. They were not created by Satan because God is the creator of all. Rather, they are fallen angels who joined Satan in his rebellion. God limits what they can do. They can do nothing without his permission. The word angels here means fallen angels or demons. This is in uh, verse 14 of chapter 9. These uh, four unidentified demons will be exceedingly evil and destructive. But note that they do not have the power to release themselves and do their evil work on earth. Instead, they're held back by God and will be released at a specific time, doing only what He allows them to do. And in verse 15 of chapter 9, here one-third of all people are killed. Back in chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, one-fourth of all people were killed. Thus, over one-half of the people in the world will have been killed by God's great judgments. Even more would have been killed if God had not set limits on the destruction. We'll read here today the number of troops amounting to 200 million. Now, in John's day, this number of mounted troops in an army was inconceivable. But today, there are countries and alliances that could easily amass this many soldiers. This huge army, led by the four demons, will be sent out to destroy one-third of the Earth's population. But the judgment is still not complete. All right, enough of the commentary. Let's begin our reading today, here in the New Testament. December 18th, the New Testament, Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 21. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I, John, saw a star that had fallen to the earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace, and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. Then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads, 
and their faces looked like human faces. They had hair like women's hair and teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron, and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions, and for five months they had the power to torment people. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek Apollyon, the destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on earth. I heard the size of their army, which was two hundred million mounted troops. And in my vision I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armor that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow. The horses had heads like lions, and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. One-third of all the people on earth were killed by these three plagues, by the fire and smoke and burning sulfur that came from the mouths of the horses. Their power was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes, with the power to injure people. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Psalm 137, verses 1 through 9. The Edomites were related to the Israelites, both nations having descended from Isaac and his father, Abraham. Although Israel shared its southern border with Edom, there was bitter hatred between the two nations. The Edomites did not come to help when the city of Jerusalem was besieged by the Babylonian army. In fact, they rejoiced when the city was destroyed. But God destroyed Babylon and its offspring for their proud assault against God and His kingdom. The Medes and Persians destroyed Babylon in the year 539 B.C. Many of those who were oppressed lived to see the victory. The phrase about uh, the babies is harsh here, we'll read, because the writer is crying out for judgment. Treat the Babylonians the way they treated us. Psalm 137 Verses 1 through 9. Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. O oh Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. 
O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 10 Never slander a worker to the employer, or the person will curse you, and you will pay for it.
Here's today's In Touch devotion. Today's scripture reading begins in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 13. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. What do you do when the storms of life come? To whom do you turn? Where do you seek comfort and security during tumultuous times? We all realize that storms will come and go unexpectedly throughout life. Yet even when struggles throw us off balance, the Word of God assures believers that we can maintain a steady footing, regardless of the circumstances. How do we do that? There is an amazing truth in the Bible that, once you take hold of it, will keep you steady during even the most trying of situations. That anchor for the storms of life is simply this. Jesus Christ never changes. You might wonder, what is meant by anchor? Think about it this way. Every single thing in your life, career, relationships, finances, is in a constant state of flux. In fact, you yourself are growing, learning, and developing every day. There is nothing anyone can do to stop this continual change. So if we try to hold tight to things like resources, friends, abilities, or prestige during times of hardship, we can't keep from being pulled one way or another. Why? Because we have affixed ourselves to something that is itself moving. We have chosen a foundation that isn't stable. However, when we fix our hopes in Christ, we can be sure that the anchor will hold. He isn't moving, changing, or leaving. Regardless of all the things in life that can morph and shift, He is the same as He always has been. Jesus is the only sure footing in an unstable world, and He can keep you steady, too. That's in my soul Oh, your resurrection power Burns like fire in my heart When waters rise I lift my eyes up to your throne
The Lored Business Network, in association with the Refuge Ministries, presents one of the 40 principles of the Foundation for Achievement. John, this next productivity principle is that of goals. And here again, I believe Lored gives an insight into this that isn't taught in much of the success material today. Uh, this is based upon Proverbs 16, verse 9. We should make plans counting on God to direct us. That's right. That's, that's a critical Proverbs there because we do have to make plans. That life doesn't work unless we make plans. But we have to have God steering us uh, and directing us or, or the world will go wild. Okay, let's visit the Lored Business Principle. Planning can be a goal in itself, but goals are primarily long or short-term strategies set within a plan. The plan is the big picture, the long-term goals, and what we want. Short-term goals are like points along the way in the strategies of how to get there. Whatever we do in life should be done based upon a goal. If we do not have a goal, then we do not have direction for our lives, and we will become a part of someone else's plan. We must understand that things don't just happen. We can dream of possibilities in the future, but it will not happen unless we design a plan with weekly or monthly goals on how to achieve them. We should always work from a daily planner or some list of things to do for the week. This will give us an exciting life and future because we are going somewhere by getting things done. Without planning and setting goals, we just respond to situations as they come up. That gives us a feeling that life is full of nothing but situations. Well, we, we wouldn't have to go further than just this here. There is so much value in that first paragraph that you could stop with the principle right there and just, but let me just make a couple of comments that are very, very critical. It says that if we don't have any goals, we don't have no direction in our life. Uh, and that is so true. If you don't have no goal, then you're responding to life and you're not going in a direction. That is so critical. A lot of people are just, you know, just kind of hee-hawing around about life. You know, they go to their job and it's not an excited life. They have to have goals in order to be happy. That's just a tr true rule. And the other one is, uh, if we don't have a dream or a possibility of the future, then we become uh, we, we become a, a part of somebody else's plan and future. Uh -huh, yes. so, so we have to take that. Uh, and the other thing is, is that it will give us an exciting life in the future. If we have goals, that's when your life becomes exciting because then, then I call it the game of life. Mm -hmm. It's a life setting the goals, meeting the goals, doing right in them. And that becomes then a game, a game of achievement and going somewhere. John, you give three things that uh, help us get somewhere in life. The first is knowing where we are. You call that awareness. That's right. Or, or it's same as saying like the facts of life, who you are, what you are, you know, and everything. It's just like deal with the real genuine issues. Look in the mirror and analyze yourself saying like, I want to know where I'm at. And sometimes you have to ask other people because sometimes you don't even know where you're at. Mm -hmm. The second is knowing what we want. That's where a goal comes in. A goal or a dream. Saying like a dream turns into a goal, but that is critical. We have to have that. We have to know what we want. If we don't know what we want, then we'll respond to whatever options come along. And the third is having a plan for how to get there. You call that a strategy. That's right. It's a strategy uh, because... That makes you function properly because now you, every morning you get up and every day you go, you work your, your day timer, you do your planning and your strategy. And so now the day you walk out the day then based upon what the plan is. Now the interruptions may interrupt, but you will stay, if you look at your day timer, you come right back and you follow the plan. And that's what makes life exciting. 90% of our lives can turn out to be what we want it to be if we have a goal and keep working on the plan. 
When we plan our activities and reach the goals we set for ourselves, we get a great feeling of satisfaction. We have become achievers. We should ask ourselves, are the things that I'm doing this week, are they the things that I planned as part of my personal goal or things that were planned for the benefit of someone else? See, you can't get away from doing both, but the key is this, that 90% of your life should be things that you go after, and it only happens if you have a goal. So you have to have to plan. So every day you get up, you're thinking about what you want to do, and if you walk that out and walk that out and walk that out, 90% of your life will be that way, and it should be. It should be making up our choices. You always will play a part because your plan also has to be involved with someone else's plan because it's a win-win situation. So you can't just be selfish. But a lot of people have a problem when I say 90% of your life can come out, turn out to be this. There are exceptions to the rule, but but honestly, I believe that. I I believe that. If I talk 10, 15 minutes with a person and I talk to him and ask him certain questions, I can tell tell you where he's going to be. I can be a prophet. (laughs) I can tell you where he's going to be unless he changes his mind. We all must respond and participate in the ideas and dreams of others. But if we want to reach the desires of our lives, we must also have ideas and dreams of our own and start planning on how we will bring them into reality. Yes, we should have goals and make plans, but count on God to direct us. How do we count on God to direct us? That's what people have a problem sometimes. See, I believe this, that I believe that God created us with a mind that we can think and reason and we can use logic. But God also gave us laws to function and to, to, to keep us honest, to keep us straight, and to keep us faithful and stuff like that. So without God's in our life, without some understanding of part of God as to what He, what is right and what's wrong, without that exercise, then we can build our plans and our dreams and, and go into self-destruction. And, and I, I believe that God helps us from going, keeps, keeps us from going into self-destruction. Now, you give us four things that uh, really are just, they're basic things that all of us should learn as part of our production. Number one, write out our dreams with clarity. That's right. Any person that doesn't write out a dream or write out what what he wants to be or something like that has a hard time getting there. Number two, write out what it will cost. Evaluate that. That's right. Because you put it down in writing, you discover things when you do that. And number three, write out our goals and strategies. You call that the plan. That's right. And the emphasis in all four of these is writing, uh-huh. writing, writing, writing. Put it down because it's like uh, it said. the prophet said, he said, uh, uh, write the vision, cast it in stone so that he that readeth may run by it. So what you are doing is you're setting the pace and the course of your life. Cast in stone by writing it down. Writing it down means like cast it in stone or have it on your daytime, or you know what you want to be and where you're going to go. And then number four, you say review them regularly. That gives you focus. That's really right, because if you don't review them, why even write them down? Because the purpose of writing something down so that you can recall it. You know, when you want it, you can take a look at it. You know, where am I going? How am I measuring to that? And if I don't, you'll lose it. There is a law in life that says this. We attract that which we give attention to. So always carry a pen and paper with you to write down thoughts that contribute to your goals, and after a while you will see a plan develop to accomplish them. Writing out our dreams and goals will do two things for us. Number one, we will find out if we really have a dream or if it was just wishful thinking. That's really true because sometimes when you start writing things down, you discover that you really don't have a dream. All it is, it's a discovery. Hmm. Second, we will discover the cost of that dream. 
Jesus said that before we build, we should consider the costs such as time, effort, and money. That's true because sometimes people have dreams that are out of proportion. I mean, it, it's like it's so big that when they put the cost of it, they say, no, that, that's not possible. When if, and if your dream is something that you, you say it's not possible, then, then you know you're not going to achieve it. Building dreams always costs us something. The price and sacrifices needed to achieve the dream may be more than we want to pay. So we can either forsake the dream or adjust the goal. It's very important to constantly review our goals. This keeps us focused and develops a mindset to achieve. So that's what uh, this is doing. There you go. You're setting your mind. Huh, there you go. It becomes a self-propelled system within you. And it's a road that you travel. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the emphasis here is on the way. You create the way. The way becomes clear. You know where you're going. You know what road you're traveling. And you focus on that. And it will get you where that road is designed to be. Certain goals must be set within our overhaul plan so we can measure the progression of the plan. Without goals, our dream will seem out of reach. But if we have a good plan with goalposts along the way, we can focus on that goal for a short term. It's all like the 10-yard line, huh, John? That's right. What happens is that that uh, uh, if you don't have, if you have a dream and if you have a plan, and if you don't set goalposts, you can't measure. And then it seems way out too far. It's a 5, 10, or 10, 15-year uh -huh. goal in life you want to achieve in life. So, so it, it's just a dream, and it never turns into reality because you don't have goalposts that say, I can reach this this week. Or I can reach something this month or next month or this year. So so we should have goalposts along the way where we want to be. And then, then, then your mind goes an offense towards achieving those goals. It's just the way it works. And I never thought that's primarily designed so that we don't lose interest. That's right. It keeps, yeah. us, keeps us achieving even though that's right. the whole. So you have not achieved the total, but you've achieved on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis. You can say, wow, man, I got something, you know. That, that's what drive keeps you driving. Now, here's one of the missing ingredients in, in normal goal planning. Of course, we must always ask God to bless our plans. If that seems difficult, perhaps we should change them. <laughs> yeah, right, because sometimes people have a goal and they cannot pray for God to bless that uh -huh. goal without bothering their conscience. That means that you're doing something that you shouldn't do. You know that. So, so don't try to achieve something that you feel guilty about because that's that's wrong. You, you wound yourself. You hurt yourself doing it. If our plans cannot be blessed by God, then we are building on sand. And even if we achieve them, we will not be happy very long. So, John, goals are really part of this production process that makes us valuable because we are achieving. It is truly a foundation for achievement. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really, a couple of points on this uh, principle. Is without goals, we become bored. Mm -hmm. That's just a fact of life. If you don't have anything to do or nothing to achieve, you become bored. And we become, if we become bored, this is what happens to us. We become a problem, and uh, we become dissatisfied. We become arrogant, uh, mean. We become, and we become a trouble in our home or in society. You will, if you don't have a goal, you will be a problem somewhere. That's just a fact. Because, because without going somewhere, you sit around and you look and see faults with people. You know, people aren't going somewhere. They find fault with each other. But when you're going somewhere, you, you, you keep on going. Let people be, and you just go after your goal. So it's critical that you have a goal in order to be happy. That's a must.
The principle of goals. We should make our plans counting on God to direct us. Proverbs 16 and 9. John, that is so powerful. It is. And, you know, I had a pretty good closing closing statements there, but uh, uh, I'd just like to make a couple again and kind of reiterate it. Because when we don't have goals, we become dissatisfied in life. And the reason for that is because we are not knowing that we're going somewhere. We may be going somewhere, but we don't know it because we don't have a strategy or something. If we have goals, we are either up or we are getting up. One of the two. It just gives us drive because it gives us direction and purpose. And I can really tell you that 90% of your life can become the way you plan it if you do it on the right principles and values. That's the truth. Got it. 